0: focus this morning will be on disciples and discipleship, but before we explore that together, I'd like us to take a look in our rearview mirror. Four years ago, about that time, we started a search for a new pastor because Pastor Jim had taken a call into a church in Michigan. And after about a year of searching, we put that search on hold. It wasn't that we couldn't find the right person, though I guess we didn't problem that we realized was we didn't know what kind of person we were looking for because we didn't really understand what kind of church God wants us to be. So once we figure out what kind of church God wants us to be, then we can hire the person or persons who will equip us to be that kind of church. Well, we didn't know what that was, so we we put it on hold. And then we hired Pastor Rick to be an interim pastor To help us answer that fundamental question, what does God want Elam to be? Through a series of refocusing summits, we came to the conclusion that God is calling Elam to make disciples. Now this sense of calling helps us understand who we are. We are disciples who are making disciples. I was very excited a couple of weeks ago when Justina came back from Atlanta from the Orange Conference and showed us a video with, with interviewing some of our young leaders that went to the conference and Josh Talion said that what got his attention and what he was excited about was the idea that as a youth worker every volunteer is a disciple maker and I sat there and watched it and said yes, that's true but more than that is true every Christian is a disciple maker every single one of us Now, these are just two images from two churches that share our same calling. They're trying to be a congregation of churches that make disciples. Elon Chapel is simply a group of disciples of Jesus Christ who are trying to help other people become disciples of Jesus Christ. That's a worthy goal, and it places us in complete alignment with the Great Commission. Now, you know the Great Commission, but I'd like to read it to you from the message because it gives it a bit of a fresh punch. Go out and train everyone you meet, far and near, in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as long as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. Being disciples who make disciples is our goal. But to reach that goal, we need to be clear about some definitions. What is a disciple? Now, I want to begin by making a distinction, I think an important distinction, between making converts and making disciples. Making converts involves bringing people to a conversion experience that's often a, a, a time of an awareness of sin and, and a proclamation of faith in Christ and every a prayer for forgiveness, and that's a good thing. And hopefully is the beginning of a journey of discipleship. But it must not be confused with making disciples. Jesus never once told us to make converts. He told us to make disciples. Billy Graham figured this out very early in his life. Billy Graham got a lot of things right. I can't think of anything he got wrong, actually. He got a lot of things right. And as he started, he asked Dawson Trotman to take a lead from The Navigator's and create a discipleship training program for all people who came forward in one of his crusades. Because he realized conversion is not the goal. Discipleship is the goal. And he wanted to make disciples. Now, conversion suggests something that happens in a punctiliar way, in a, in a, in a point in time. Discipleship points to a long journey in one direction. What direction? Toward Jesus. Discipleship is moving with and toward Jesus. Toward Jesus, but he's alongside us, helping us through his Holy Spirit to take that journey. Now, in terms of a strict definition, a disciple is just simply a pupil or a learner. Discipleship is the act of training, instructing, teaching. In in our day and age, the relationship between Disciple-making and disciple is like an apprenticeship. Now, in the culture and in Jesus' teaching, discipleship focused on three actions. First, a disciple follows a rabbi. It's quite literal, as we see in Jesus in the gospel. Jesus was always on the move, and the disciples were just simply going with him. We see it in this picture. As Jesus called them to follow him, that's literally what they did. They attached themselves to him where he was they were where he went they went we see it in Matthew 4 Mark 2 John 1 now in the first century if you talk to someone about a disciple they would form a mental image of someone who's attached themselves to a rabbi or a teacher or a philosopher or some kind of a a leader of some sort that's the second thing a disciple learns from his teacher Jesus told his disciples, including you and me, take my yoke upon you, learn from me. A disciple is a learner. We're constantly learning from Jesus. We we could paraphrase it today as Jesus saying, take my yoke of apprenticeship upon you. Learn from me. Thirdly, a disciple becomes like his teacher. Jesus made that very plain He says, students or disciples are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. Your goal in being a disciple is to become like Jesus. That's the goal of being a disciple, to become like Jesus. C.S. Lewis and Mere Christianity, probably one of the more important books in in, uh, the last hundred years, I think, for people to apprehend what Christianity is all about, says this, In the same way the church exists for nothing else but to draw people into Christ and to make them little Christs. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. We are to become like Jesus. This is Elam's twofold goal. That each of us would be a disciple of Jesus, following Him, learning from Him, becoming like Him, and that each of us would help other people do the same by becoming disciples. In that sense, discipleship begins right here in this room. Look around. Every one of us in this room needs help to be a disciple. We help each other be disciples. We also help each other make disciples. Church doesn't do it, by the way. Institutions don't make disciples. People make disciples. Now let's go back to the Great Commission. I want to focus on four words out of the Great Commission. Train, that's discipling, in this way of life. I like what Peterson has done here. He's saying that being a disciple and making disciples is a way of life. It should be how we live should be a description of how we live. So how do we get there? How do we get to a place where being a disciple and making disciples is how we live? The key is habits, I believe. Habits. Our lives, to a great extent, are shaped by our habits. A good portion of what you have done already today is, is based on habits. E- even our dog, our, our, our dog understands the routine of habits. Our dog knows when we're getting ready for church that it's time to go to his kennel. And he's he's heading up the stairs and head for the kennel because he can tell we're going to church. You know, the habit has just become his habit. Habits shape what we do. But we have some good habits, we have some bad habits. That's a fact. Success in life is predicated on establishing good habits. I like this quote that I picked up this week. Goals direct your future. Your habits decide it. You can have a great goal. If you don't have the right habits, you'll probably never reach that goal. You might have a goal to to lose weight. But if you don't develop different eating habits, you're not ever going to lose it. It's a great goal, but you've got to change your habits. To, To make discipleship a way of life, we might have to change some habits. Now what we're going to do today, and also next Sunday, is we're going to look at the reading for the day. This, the, the gospel reading today is the same reading that they're reading in Africa, they're reading in Malaysia, they're reading in China, they're reading in France, if anybody's in church today in France, we don't know. But at, all the way around the world, they're reading the same passage, because it's part of the lectionary. So I didn't choose these passages, the lectionary chose them. We're taking the gospel reading for today and the gospel reading for next week, and we're looking for habits of discipleship in these passages because they're there. They're biblical habits of discipleship. Now, in the reading today, we see Jesus and his disciples getting out of the boat after they cross the Sea of Galilee. Well read, by the way. I loved it. Thank you. There they're they're met by a man who's demonized and he's demonized to such an extent that he's no longer in control of his own life. And the results are frightening. He's naked most of the time. He runs around hurting himself. He frightens others. Uh, He lives in the tombs. He spends his nights sleeping on the bones of dead people. They put him in shackles when they can but he breaks them. He's got extraordinary power. He's completely under demon power. But in the gospel reading, we see Jesus quickly taking charge. He takes charge of the situation. He sets the man free. And then we see this unnamed man become a disciple of Jesus Christ as he expresses his desire to follow Jesus. Now, there are three habits I want to take out of this story. Two relate to you and me being a disciple. That should be you and I being a disciple. Uh, One relates to our making disciples. So three habits. Two relate to being a disciple. One related to making disciples. By the way, this is, Wendy didn't get to edit this sermon because she's out of town. And uh, so it, it probably suffers for that. And she would have said, you have too many threes in this sermon. Well, I've only got two groups of three. That's not so bad for me. Uh, without her, I'd probably have four or five groups of three. But I, I got it down to two. So there are two groups of three. There are three actions of discipleship that we've already looked at. There are the three actions are following Jesus. What's the second? This is a test. Learning, thank you. And the third is what? Becoming like Jesus. See, you guys are good. All right. So those are the three actions. Now we're going to get into three habits of discipleship. Now first, I want you to think about this demonized man for a minute. How did he become a disciple? He didn't go looking for Jesus. He didn't have that capacity. He wasn't in control. Jesus came looking for him. If there's anything that climbs out of this chapter of Luke, is that Jesus went looking for him. Jesus said to his disciples one day, let's, let's cross over the lake to the other side. Well, they were used to Jesus saying odd things like that, so they, they got in a boat to go with him. And Jesus, as soon as he got in the boat, went to sleep, which is... I guess an all right thing to do. Soon they found themselves in a huge storm. And they were used to that lake, and they knew that that was a life threatening storm. It's like Lake Winnipeg, it's shallow, the Sea of Galilee. And when the wind blows, you can get a horrible storm. And they knew they were in trouble. And they're looking over there, and Jesus is just sleeping. So finally they go and wake him up. Don't you care that we're going to die? Jesus looks at him like, what's wrong with you guys? He stands up, he rebukes the storm, and it's calm, absolutely calm. Rebuked. It's the same word used when Jesus talks to demons. Same word. It's as if there is some kind of devilish will and power Behind that storm. There's an agency behind that storm. That doesn't want Jesus to reach that man. More than that. That agency doesn't want Jesus to reach the cross either. And it would love to drown Jesus right there if it could. Now it looks to me like Jesus knew full well. That there was a man over there waiting for him. And he set out on a journey to reach that man. I don't know if you can see this slide that well. But it's, a, it's a probably a picture about four or 500 years old. I love the details in it because they t- they're telling a story with this art. So on the right hand of that picture, there's Jesus asleep in the boat. But now on the left hand of that top picture, you see Jesus standing up rebuking the storm. And what is he rebuking? They look like demons on the upper left-hand corner. And then we find him down in the bottom casting the demons out of the man. Um, you can't see them, but these are, these are demons riding horseback on the pigs that are headed into the lake. Um, I'm not for sure what that thing is in the upper left-hand corner of the bottom picture, but I think it's the church. And I think the idea is that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church or against Jesus. Uh, so, so Jesus is, is the conqueror in this picture. Demonic forces tried to stop Jesus, but there was no chance. Jesus had planned this meeting with this man. I think this is your story and my story. Jesus reached out to us. Jesus took the initiative and came to us and he called us by name. He met us where we were with our brokenness, with our baggage, and he called us by name. He called us to follow him, just like he does in the Gospels with Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew, the tax collector, the traitor, and Nathaniel, who, according to Jesus, embodied the true faith of Israel. He called each one by name. There's an old hymn, that we don't know who wrote it, composed late in the 19th century, and, and it describes what we see Jesus doing in the gospel stories, in this story, and in our lives. I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew He moved my soul to seek Him, seeking me. It was not I that found, O Savior, true. No, I was found of Thee. We may think we went looking for Jesus, but no, not really. The the initiative is His. He takes the initiative. He came looking for us and called us by name. Now, what should be our response to that? Jesus came to me with all of my baggage, all of my messiness, all of my sin, and called me by name and said, John, follow me. What, what should be my response to that? Gratitude. Overwhelming gratitude and humility. And knowing that, you find that in the next verse of this hymn. It's actually the third verse. Always thou lovest me. When I was a sinner, you loved me. When I was broken, you loved me. When I was lost, you loved me. Now I'm a disciple, you love me. I mess up as a disciple, you love me. Always, Jesus, you love me. Shouldn't that fill us with just overwhelming gratitude? Shouldn't we be the most thankful people on the face of the earth? Well, I think this just simply reminds me that a key habit of a true follower of Jesus is living in gratitude for his grace and mercy in which he reached out to us. We need to cultivate the habit of gratitude. I'm going to come back to this a little bit later. But that's the first habit of discipleship, that uh, we be thankful to God for what he's done. Now, to see the second habit, I want to shift our focus from the men set free to the 12 disciples for a few minutes. The guys who made the trip with Jesus, the guys who thought they were going to drown. The way Luke tells the story, we get the impression that they were just going about their business like they would any day. And Jesus said, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. And they said, sure, we'll, we'll do that. Not a one of them could have known what was coming. Not one of them would have known that they were about to go through a life-threatening storm where they feared for their lives or that they will be immediately confronted by a man who had the smell of death all over him. A wild man living in the tombs. See, following Jesus is not a tame or gentle adventure. It's a wild ride. Say it again. Following Jesus can be a wild ride. Because Jesus is going to take us places that we'd prefer not to go. Now, now, note this, please. I'm not talking about going somewhere geographically. I'm not talking about when, when I was a kid, which seems it is a long, long time ago. When I was a kid, uh, missionary speakers would come to our church and, and, and challenge us to be missionaries. And, and my friends, and myself, would say "We aren't. I'm not going to Africa. I'm not going to Ch- I, I'm not going to China." I'm not. I'm nope. No, nope, not, not me. That's not what I'm talking. About. I'm not talking about going somewhere geographically. Following Jesus takes us into relationships with people who have messy lives, with a lot of pain and a lot of baggage, and that is a difficult place to go. If we follow Jesus, we're going to walk into the lives of people that we really don't care to be around because they're such a mess. But that's where Jesus is going, and he wants us to go with them. Now, here's the wonderful thing about this. If we are in the habit of following Jesus wherever he goes, and we go into the lives of messy people, we get to see Jesus do wonderful things. If these guys wouldn't have crossed over, they wouldn't have seen Jesus calm a storm. If they hadn't landed on the shore, they wouldn't have seen Jesus set a demonized man completely free. So the the risk-taking, risk-filled and frightening encounters we have give us the privilege of seeing Jesus do remarkable things. But if we don't have the habit of going with Jesus, we miss out. We, we don't see God's gracious goodness at work in other people's lives. So a second habit for a disciple is to follow Jesus into the messy lives of other people so we can see his love and mercy at work. He'll put you in a relationship where the guy says, I don't like Christ. I don't like Christianity. I think it's a bunch of garbage. Not interested. I don't believe in that. I believe in what I'm doing. And we, we're going to say, ah, I think I'll go somewhere else. No, stay there because that's where Jesus is. So those are the first two habits. A disciple should live with an attitude of gratitude because Jesus loves us and calls us. And being a disciple of Jesus will put us in places where we can be witnesses to what he is doing. We just have to cultivate a habit of going with Jesus. We need to wake up in the morning and say, well, Jesus, where are we going today? Well, okay, Jesus, I, Yeah, I'll rephrase that. Lord, I'm going to work today. Lord, who am I going to meet at work today that I can talk to? Lord, who am I going to meet today that I can love? Who, who, who will I meet today that I can serve? Where I go, Jesus, you go. That's what it means to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. Third habit is related to helping other people become disciples. In this story, we, we see the demonized man clothed again in his right mind, and he wants to leave with Jesus. He's, he's begging Jesus, let me go with you. I want to follow you. Jesus won't let him. Jesus says, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So it goes on to say, He went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. The first step in making disciples is to tell other people what God has done for you. It's that easy. I have to go to school to study that the first step in making disciples is tell people what God has done for you. Now, I ran some seminars for navigator students at U of M early in my time there to try to teach them this idea. Because most people, when when they talk about telling someone what God did for them, they'll talk about their conversion experience. That's not what people want to hear. Frankly, they want to hear what God did for you yesterday. That's what they want to hear. They want to hear what God did for you in the context of you having trouble at work or you're having trouble in your marriage or you're having trouble with your kids or you're having trouble with your health. They want to hear what Jesus is doing for you in those kinds of circumstances. Those are the stories we need to tell people. We need to get in the habit of responding to people and their questions by telling them what God has done for us. Now, I said earlier that I'd come back to this idea of being thankful, and and I am, in order to make a couple of points. A lot of things happen to us and, and we just chalk them up to luck or chance or being fortunate or we say, boy, I sure got away with that one. And we don't, see the hand of God and what just happened because we've deprogrammed ourselves from seeing the hand of God we need to reprogram ourselves to see things happen and say wow look what God just did that wasn't good luck that was God I had the privilege of helping lead a, a woman to Christ once uh, she I think I'm getting feedback over here where am I not going to get feedback uh, so she came to me she said I hate God I said oh that's nice tell me why and she had, of course she had a long list everybody has a long list I, I spent probably nine months having conversations with her before she moved out to the west coast and, and basically she, she became a Christian finally not, not here, once she got to the West Coast, what got her going was just to just ask her questions about her life. Every time we get together, what's happening in your life? What's happening there? And once in a while, something good would happen. I'd say, where did that come from? I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea. I went on for a long time. Where'd that come from? One day she said, you think God did that? Yep, I think God did that. And pretty soon, God became kind of one of her default answers. We're working with a non-Christian in Can You right now. I've got to be careful what I say because this guy's fairly high profile. He's, he's an atheist. And Can You is something Navigator started, by the way. And, and he's beginning to say, look what God's doing. Yep guess you're not an atheist anymore. I'm not sure he's Christian yet, but I'm pretty sure he's not an atheist anymore. He's beginning to have eyes to see. So, So what we need to do is to live with eyes open to see what Jesus is doing because number one, that will help us with the gratitude issue. And number two, it'll give us stuff to talk about with other people who don't believe in Jesus. It gets us focused on Let me ask you this question. What did Jesus do in your life yesterday? Probably thinking, I don't think I did anything yesterday, Jesus. I don't remember seeing Jesus show up yesterday. You think about that, and you pray about it for a while, and pretty soon you'll say, oh, that was Jesus? God did that for me yesterday? That's what I'm talking about. There's a psalm, Psalm 105, verse 4, that again, I'm going to read from the message. Uh, stole this thing off the internet too. I like it. Keep your eyes open for God. Watch for his works. Be alert for signs of his presence. If we do that, we will live in gratitude, we'll cultivate a habit of gratitude, and we'll be equipped to make disciples. Because we can tell people what God did for us yesterday last week in our home in our marriage you know what I found out about God working in my marriage you know what that means it means God's working on me if I ask God to work on my marriage I better look out because he's going to work on me he's going to say well John this attitude is kind of a problem you might want to fix that that's not what I was asking for God I was asking for a miracle because we well, fixing that might be a miracle. Let's, let's get to work on that. Anyway, if we can't see what God's doing in our lives every day, then, then we can't tell other people, these potential disciples for Jesus, about him with the same power. We can talk about Jesus in abstract terms, that he's God and he died for our sins. and You know, there's not much power in that. But when we tell them a story of what Jesus did in our life this week, There's power in that story. And that will grab them. And hopefully they'll say, I'd I'd like to know more. Hang on to that word, hopefully, because we're going to talk about that next Sunday. So what I would suggest this morning is let's, let's commit ourselves to being disciples who make disciples. Let's commit ourselves as a church to being disciples who make disciples.